Emery had never been on the run from anyone before. He hardly knew what one was supposed to do. Ride north, he supposed, until he reached the cave Sarah had spoken of. But the night was black as pitch, and his horse seemed as displeased by the situation as he was. As he rode on and the initial fear and adrenaline began to wear off, he started to realize no one was chasing him at all. He'd been riding blindly in the dark, not looking back, for miles now. And it was strange. Though Emery was no seasoned outlaw, he knew the patrons at the bar intended to give chase, considering he'd been the man who'd killed their innkeeper, if that had been his crime exactly. He thought it was, but now he wasn't sure. Playing the events over in his head again, he came to the understanding that Sarah had shot Ab, certainly. And if she hadn't, Emery would have done it himself. It just would have taken longer. Something horrible had come over him there in the stable, a kind of fury he never thought he had in him. But he would have killed me, Emery said to himself, not for the first time. The prairie north of Barnett bordered the desert. While some vegetation grew, strictly speaking, it was more dust than dirt. Rocks cropped ominously out of the landscape, like shadowy figures or huge, immovable beasts, frightening the bard every now and then. As the ground got rockier, Emery began to realize he was, most likely, entirely lost. He thought he was still on a road, but how would he know? The night, the rocks, the terror of what he'd seen and done? It was inevitable that he would lose his way. The night's quiet sounds and the thud of the horse's hooves were all that punctuated the dark. Emery rode on, tired as he was, but persistent. His shoulder was sore where he twisted it, not to mention the raw gashes along the sides of his hands from holding down the guitar string like a garrote. He suspected the wounds might need stitches, but that was beyond his ability. He only flexed his hands, feeling the scabs crack open again and bleed. Caves, huh, girl? Emery said to the horse. Paranoia crept in again, as it tended to do every time he spoke aloud. Someone could be listening. To calm himself, he played the events over in his head again, wiping his sweaty flaxen hair from his brow, muttering lowly. I spoke with the alderman. He told me I'd have a room, so I went to the inn to get a room, of course. Nothing strange about that. That's normal. Expect it, right? But then I was told to sleep in the stables. I could have put up a fight about it, but no, I just... I just conceded. I abided by what hospitality they could afford, even if I suspected they simply didn't trust me. And then came Sarah, with her food and tears and stories of being used so badly. She had liked my music. She had said... I remember her saying this distinctly, that her father, Ab, had sent her to feed me, but now that I think about that, it doesn't make sense at all, does it? Had she expected me to lie with her, or... Damn the territories, he thought, as he led the horse up a little bit of a ridge. Maybe Sarah hadn't been lying. Maybe she was going to catch up with him after all. He had to hope, a little bit, even if it was a sickly hope. But the truth was, Emery didn't want to see her again. He didn't want to see anything that reminded him of Barnett. If he had a drop of courage in him, he'd simply have hightailed it away altogether and not gone off to these likely imaginary caves of Sarah's. Maybe the whole incident was a test, he thought. A strange test, put together by the barding council for a young bard from Moor that always just seemed a little too tender-footed even for the softer life of a bard. Regardless, Emery felt he had failed even if there hadn't been a test. 
He hadn't been able to court anyone in Barnet. The only person who seemed to give a bucket of piss for him at all was Sarah, and he'd only known her for about fifteen ticks. And why Barnet? Why would the Queen put him here, when there were plenty of other serviceable towns throughout the territories not rife with drunks and murderous liars? Henry brought the horse to a halt at the top of the ridge and looked back toward where he'd come from. Barnet was there just in the distance, its street lamps yellow and flickering. It was dark, but the moonlight was bright enough to illuminate the dusty road behind him. He couldn't see anyone else. And as he tilted his head to the side, the wind was blowing so hard, chilly and constant, that he even couldn't hear a thing. The horse seemed impatient and pawed the ground a bit. One of the moons slipped behind a cloud for a moment, darkening the night, and then appeared again. Cha! he said to the horse, and continued on at a slower pace. Not much further on, and he saw white boulders rising up before him, and there in the middle, a hole. Though he wouldn't have considered it a proper cave, as there wasn't quite enough room for the horse, still, he tethered her not far by a knotted old witch tree. He had the strange sensation that he was no longer inhabiting his body, he was so tired. It was as if he were but there, watching himself pat the horse, rummage in his rucksack, and then hunker down next to the cave to relieve himself. Then, still as if from a distance, he watched as he took his instruments from the horse and into the cave, using his fiddle case as a pillow. And then, he watched as he closed his eyes and drifted to what closely resembled sleep. The sound of a hundred hooves trampling atop the cave woke Emery with such a start that he smashed his head on the rock ceiling. He cried out, but his voice was drowned amidst the chaos. Shading his eyes from the dust, he could see hooves jumping over the little crevice in the ridge, kicking up dirt and rubble as he went. He saw plenty of spurs, too. Apparently, they hadn't noticed him yet, nor his horse. He pulled gingerly on the tether to where he'd tied her, but it came back. She chewed through it. Holding the rope to his chest, Emery waited for the hooves to stop. Surely these had to be knights. He'd heard that the knights of the crown many times, but he'd never seen them aside from at court. And those had just been the order of the Alder and Rose, scarcely more than glorified lords and bodyguards to the queen. But out here in the territories, there'd be no other explanation for so many mounted men. Then as quickly as it began, the sound ceased. From Emery's guess, they had been traveling the same road he'd left out on a barnet. He could still feel the rumbling of the hooves as they continued out at breakneck speed. His heart was thumping in his throat, and he was sore in more places than he could count, but he wanted to be certain that he would not be caught. It was possible that the Barnett villagers were so angry that they'd set the knights on him, but he'd always imagined they'd attempt vigilante justice first. So cautiously, he rolled out of the crevice. He had to be particularly careful as his guitar and fiddle were lodged in with him. The dust was making it hard to breathe, and as he made his slow progress out, he slunk on his stomach aware of how quiet it all was becoming. Getting onto his feet, he groaned, then stretched his back. He was looking toward where the presumed knights had departed, and all he could see of them was a dust cloud in the distance, smoky and yellow. He was still weary from his fitful night of sleep, and he rubbed his hands with his eyes. A visit to a decent lavatory would be much appreciated, but in the meantime he'd have to settle for some brush. Henry looked up to the sky and noticed how gray it was. Strange, that. He turned slowly around to face Barnett, and froze. Barnett was burning. 
A plume of smoke rose high into the horizon, black and roiling. What in the gods' names? He could see the roads leading in and out of town, but there appeared to be no one on them. Strange, even for such a small town, it was habitually busy in the morning with shopkeepers and ranchers and the like. Squinting, he tried to make out any movement in the valley below, but he could see nothing. Then he thought he saw something, a, a herd of steers. But no, they weren't moving either. Picking his way slowly down the slope, Emery's pace quickened as thoughts filtered nervously through his head. What had he just missed? And what was burning? It was still a good distance to go and precarious without a horse, and he had nothing to eat and only a vague concept of the edible plants of the territories, but he had to do something. He stopped a moment, contemplating the situation. He'd killed a man the night before, and if he hadn't delivered the killing blow, he'd been on his way to it. He'd meant to kill Ab. Why would he go back? Settle my damn curiosity, he said to himself in answer. Just as he was about to continue down on his own, he caught movement to his left. He almost didn't recognize her, but there was the alderman's horse. She had found a nice little thatch of wheat and was chomping rather placidly, but she was covered in dust. Her ears were back, though, and Emery wondered what she'd thought of the passing nights. Come here, girl, he said, in his most sweet-tempered voice. He held out his scabby hands and twitched them in a slightly vague attempt to woo her to him. His fingers trembled. I promise I'll get you some water as soon as we get back into town. The horse seemed to consider him a moment, her big brown eyes blinking a few times. She took one more munch of a nearby tree and then approached him. She looked at him as if to say, Time to go. Emery had to keep reminding himself to breathe. It was the first time in his life that he could recall needing to tell his lungs to expand and contract, needed to continue remembering that breath would keep him alive, keep the blood flowing to his brain and organs. But that was just it. If he stopped breathing, he would be as bad off as the rest of the people in Barnett. Because all of them were dead. Every last one. He hadn't had time to learn all their names, but he had meant to. And now they were just bodies in the sun. Their unseeing eyes flecked with dirt and sand and blood. It looked as if they'd tried to put up a fight. Men were slayed in the streets, but their weapons were not in hand. The weapons were the source of the burning. In the middle of the town, a bonfire still smoldered, and every now and then outright exploded. It wasn't that he'd never seen a body before. He'd seen his grandfather dead and laid to rest, and one of his cousins, but not like this. Not with blood still seeping from their wounds, not with their eyes glazed and white. The last day's events were hard enough on his conscience, and he'd thrown up three times already, and felt that he should again, except there was nothing left in his stomach. It was just dry retching. Nothing made sense. That was the problem. He peered into the sun, shading his eyes as if to remind himself that, yes, the world was still much as it always had been. But vultures were circling when he glanced down, he couldn't help but still be astonished. It was a bloodbath beyond comprehension. Surely he hadn't loved the people of Barnett, and he'd outright loathed some of them. But this? No, this was not deserved. Hello? He called. The word was drowned as the nearby bonfire crackled again, 
He shuddered and walked a few paces around. Is anyone... Is anyone here? He asked again. Though there weren't many women in Barnett to begin with, Emery was struck by their absence altogether from the bodies. There were few women in any town, though mostly kept under strict lock and key. He thought of Sarah suddenly, and wondered where she was. Hello? He called again. One of the vultures landed on a stile, not far from the silver shoe. He glanced toward the inn and noticed something nailed to the door. The door itself was half off its hinges, creaking in the breeze. He read, By rule decree, all unmarried elder-class women of the territories to be sent north to the Queen's land. Any town in violation of said decree will be considered treasonous. Measures will be taken. He took the notice and folded it three times and put it into his pocket. The act of folding the paper calmed him. It was a perfectly normal thing to do, folding paper. Finding his nerves somewhat settled, Emery peered inside the tavern. The smell was worse than it had been the night before. He called inside, but heard nothing. A shiver trickled down his spine as he looked down the alleyway toward the stables. Would Ab still be there? And moreover, would Sarah be there? The notice had said all alter-class women, and certainly Sarah wasn't alter-class. He wanted to look, to see if he could find her, but his feet were planted to the ground. He felt the need to retch again, but only gagged. If he didn't get food soon, he'd be as good as the citizens of Barnett. There hadn't been time in the rush of the morning to check the horse for rations, but he realized he should have done this in the first place. His head was throbbing behind his left eye, unrelenting. The horse was still chewing grass as he approached her. He smoothed her neck with the palm of his hands, the scabs snagging hair as he did so. Then he began rummaging in her bags. Yes, there was a little stale bread and some jerky. It wasn't much, but it was something. Though, at the moment, he couldn't imagine eating food at all. I'm a coward. That's what, he said to the horse, closing up the food satchel. I've not got a brave bone in my entire body. I can't even... I can't even look at them. It was true. He couldn't look at the bodies. If he'd known prayers, he would have said them. And part of him wanted to take up the shovel himself and give them a proper burial. But the sun was hot, and he was weak. Weak in many, many ways. He closed his eyes and thought of more. He imagined green pastures filled with fat sheep and beautiful streams fit to bursting with rainbow-backed trout. His cousin Vern and he would ride out to the countryside when they were young, catch trout, and then roast them over a fire. Emery would sing songs, and Vern would whittle, and Emery would always come away with a new song or a story to share. Even then, before he'd taken the vows of barding, he'd been appreciated. Now in this place that felt so far from home, he wondered what his purpose even was. How was he to stand against something so foul it would slaughter men in its path like this? He took a deep breath then and pushed the door to the inn open. The shutters were still drawn, but there was just enough light to see around. At least thirty patrons lay dead. Some appeared to have been shot in the middle of card games and drinking their alcohol. Surely that must have meant that the knights had arrived at night. So Emery had missed them by a scant few turns. The whore's bright dress caught his attention from the corner of his eye, her long legs still protruding from the frills, but now pasty white and streaked with blood. So, they hadn't taken all the women. He closed his eyes tightly and prayed that nothing ill had become to her in the last ticks. Like the rest, she had a look about her, 
as if she'd been taken by surprise. Then a buzzing began in his ears, and at first he thought it must be a fly. He swatted by his head, but saw nothing more. Breathe, he kept reminding himself. Just breathe. There was some ale still kegged behind the counter. This he used to refill his water skin. There wasn't much in the way of food, save for bar fare, but that would have to do for a while. He found some flour, though, and wrapped it in his kerchief. The buzzing continued in his head, his heart pounding continually. More sweat beaded on his forehead, dripping into his eyes. The dead implored him to look, but he could not. He staggered out the front door to the inn, gasping for breath again. The stifling smell had been bad enough to force him nearly to the point of fainting, but now at least he was outside. A slight breeze made the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. He removed his floppy hat and wiped his brow, squinting past the arch to Barnett and then over to the great alder. If he could have asked the alder what had happened, he certainly would have. Just as he was about to mount his horse again, fleeing from the scene altogether, something again caught his eye. A flash of metal in the sunlight, the curve of a slender, bony hand around the corner of the inn. She was so skinny, even in death, but without animation, she really did look young, like a child. They'd shot her, too, twice in the chest and once in the head. It looked to have been quick, or so Emery hoped. She was near the body of a horse, hastily bridled and saddled. Some of the straps weren't even buckled, and the saddle blanket was crooked. God, Sarah, he said. He had fallen to his knees, but he hadn't remembered doing that. His guitar made a hollow thump against his heels. Her hand was cold, the fingers stiff, so small. He hadn't time to know her, but it did not affect him less for it. In the daylight, he saw the wear on her body, the bruises, the cuts. She might not have lasted much longer, and surely her fate would have been more difficult. But at least, she would have been alive and she had saved his life. If he had been in Barnet when the knights came through, he would have been dead as the rest of them. He went to pick her up, but as he did so, the strap of his guitar came loose. The instrument hit the ground, its strings clanging in the smoky air. Instinctively, he reached out and took the guitar by the neck to silence the dissonant chord. But the sound did not stop. He closed his hands tighter and then looked to where Sarah was. Her mouth had fallen open and a sound like wind and bones was pouring out. The cord grew. The mouths on the other bodies opened one by one, their bloody blue lips parting, adding discourse to the dissonance, the cord ever swirling, ever growing. Emery fell to his side and curled up into a ball, the sound ripping the very soul out of him. He could not stand against the seed craft. It was death and magic and retaliation, a song of the dead. He was not sure how long he lay there, trembling and convulsing, incapable of speech or control of his limbs. It was terror like he'd only felt at the edge of his darkest nightmares, all-consuming, all-knowing. It was only the horse that bit him hard in the rump that made him come to. The pain was enough to send him to his feet, trembling as if he were in the middle of winter. He staggered against his horse, whose ears were still flat against her head, her nostrils flared. He could not feel his fingers, but he managed to drag himself up by the horn in the saddle. There would be no time to bury the dead. As Emery spurred his horse out of Barnet, he could still hear the cord of death running after him, calling him by name. Stranger. 
stranger. Three turns later, the sun setting in the west and the moon's just on the other horizon. Emery finally stopped. He'd no idea where the horse had taken him. He'd trusted her to direct him since he felt only his sanity was significantly com compromised. He'd retched half a dozen times as they rode, but only vomited bile and spit. Exhausted and frightened beyond comprehension, he simply had no choice but to move. Horse, he said, his voice rough in his throat. The vomit had seared its way out, making speaking difficult, and he certainly hadn't had time for food or drink in the last few turns. We should stop. The horse, as if it understood him, lumbered to a trot. The land here was much less rocky. From the maps he'd seen back in Moor, he'd guessed they'd traveled some distance northwest, having now exited the prairies of the territories and entered the rockier mountains not far from the sea. Emery clumsily dismounted and felt his knees twist as he came down on the rocky ground. The trees were strange to him, gnarled and old, their roots protruding from the ground like bones from graves. He was so weak he had to use the horse to prop him up. Aside from the aches and pains of horseback riding, which he was not exactly accustomed to, he'd managed to burn his face and neck quite badly in the sun. He had lost his hat somewhere along the way. Taking the horse to a patch of tall, reedy grass, Emery surveyed his surroundings. The mountainsides were littered with large boulders, craggy and weathered with wind and weather. To the west, a large mountain peak rose, its sides green with grass on one side and blossoming with yellow flowers on the other. More peaks rose from him north to south, a perfect line between him and the presumed ocean. Though it was still spring, there seemed very little in the way of vegetation. Here and there, trees had been reduced to black skeletons, recent fires claiming them as their own. There was a small spring, and the water was fresh. Splashing the crisp water on his face, he led the horse to drink, and then continued on by foot, seeking a comfortable place to rest amidst the jutting rocks. He couldn't recall being so tired. Desperate thoughts flitted through his mind. He could fall and break his neck. No one would find him, and it suited him right. He was a cursed man. The cord he had heard in Barnett reverberated off of everything. He had to stop walking at one point and tie his kerchief around his neck of his guitar for fear he would unleash something monstrous again. Emery knew that if he heard the cord again, he would kill himself. He would do anything to escape it the next time, even if it meant taking his own life. He was pondering the quickest way to do it, a noose, he thought, tied behind the horse, when something caught his eye about a hundred feet up the side of the mountain. It was The sun was setting and the temperature was dropping, and though he was still hungry, he was no longer thirsty. This, at least, was one small blessing amidst what he was certain was some stage of hell. It looked like a cave. Perhaps this was what Sarah had really meant when she'd spoken of the caves to the north. He had thought he had, she had meant nearby, but with all the confusion after Ab had been killed, perhaps she'd been mistaken. I'm not sure I can make it, Emery said to the horse, smoothing her nose with the palm of her hand. She snorted and nudged him. It was far from an easy climb, and Emery was far up Far, far from up to par. Dizzy spells were overtaking him every few ticks, and breathing was difficult. He had to leave the horse up about ten feet below the cave opening, since there was no easy way to get such a large beast up the steep slope. One last-ditch effort, his guitar nearly falling off his back in the process, Emery managed to swing himself up into the crevice. His hands met smooth rock, cool from the shade out of the sun. A breeze met him, too. 
not risking the light, Emery hoisted the rest of his wares, the fiddle and his rucksack, into the mouth of the cave and and felt around. He knew he was taking considerable risk. Gods knew what kind of beast took up residence in caves such as this. But he was too tired to think clearly. Part of him hoped something hungry and nameless would slink out of the shadows and devour him. At least then, he would be free from the terror that was sneaking around the edges of his thoughts. At least, it didn't smell like anything lived there. As Emery drifted off to sleep, he thought about how much he hated the territories. He cursed Queen Maelis and everyone at court. He hoped that, if he lived, he would be given a chance to seek out revenge for what had happened in Barnett. And if he died, he only hoped that the gods, with those that were left in the world, if any at all, would pity his wretched soul.